Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Happy Sad Confused. I am Josh Horowitz, your fearless leader in this endeavor, this podcast that will change... No, it's not going to change your life. Who am I kidding? Uh, joining me today, special guest, Joel. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having we, me. We won't reveal your last name because no. the, that we don't want you not to again. get more stalkers. No. Then, uh, Joel, uh, what do you what do you do? What have you done with me? What's your What's your role in my life in this podcast? Uh, my role is I have worked with you for five years. Maybe? Why did Why did you close your eyes as you said that? Like you were like uh, there were a lot of memories flooding back. <laughs> I was trying to figure out which ones to actually broadcast. Uh, no, but we've done uh, your your video component of this, the MTV After Hours for the past. Five years and wow, that is that is that applause is crazy. Um, so we, I, you and I both write and produce it, um, and then the world uh, loves it and consumes it and is changed in the process. My life has just gone on an upward trajectory. And most importantly, Joel uh, lent his office to me today to record this week's podcast, which was with a fantastic actor by the name of Kevin Bacon. Who doesn't love Kevin Bacon? I mean, who doesn't love bacon and who doesn't love Kevin's and when you put them together. I don't know why they would be listening to this podcast if they didn't like either of those right. things. If you don't like it, move on. Go listen to Nerdist. Yeah. Uh, Nerdist it's surprising okay. how much you're smiling as you're saying this. I, you know, because I just see, I imagine you, yeah, most of my interaction with you is either anger or like ennui. <laughs> Just a vacant stare, but you you really enjoying I'm this. I just, I'm just trying to give the listener at home a good visual <laughs> of, of the recording process. I'm, I'm dancing a little jig in my seat. I am shocked. Um, but yes, so I record. I just recorded literally moments ago. We finished with Kevin Bacon. Um, in Joel's exciting uh, office in Midtown, and uh, Kevin was great. He's promoting a film called Cop Car, which is a small film. It came out of Sundance. We talk about it a bit in this. It's it's kind of like in that. Um, I mentioned in the podcast, it kind of reminded me of the, like the early Cone Brothers, like Blood Simple, like a really nice, tight thriller with some humorous elements. Um, and it's a, it's a mystery kind of a thing. And it, it, it's worth your time. And it's, it's a small film. You can catch it on VOD in some theaters. Um, I would definitely recommend it. Uh, Kevin, of course, delivers, as he always does. And uh, it was really cool to talk to him. I haven't... It's weird, actually. I have not... We've never done him for After Hours, for instance, even though he's a New right. Yorker and he's always working. Um, and I've never really done like much with him. So it was cool. He's like got an insane resume. What's the, fir- okay, what's the first film you think of when you think of Kevin Bacon, Joel? Uh, Cop Car? God, that, you, you really don't watch movies, do you? Why are you on the team? I don't know. I've gotten by yeah. so far. But. You know what? I've never, this is going to shock yeah. you and maybe listeners. I've never seen Footloose. I was going to say Footloose, but. Uh, you don't want to be a cliche of a No. Cliche, but no. I've never seen it. Here's here's what you do. Yeah, go go out and watch Footloose. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Wow, you're like a doctor. <laughs> Wait, are you talking about the uh, the Miles Teller one? Yeah, I don't know which one you're referring to. Neither one. Okay. I've never I've never seen that. Sorry, Miles. Do yourself two favors. I should just do a double feature right after this. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but it was cool. We talked a lot about his like his early start theater. Um, we talk a bit about JFK and so a lot of random stuff. X Men, which I know you're into because you're a big old nerd like me. That's that's true. You might be even nerdier than me. This is also true. How many hours a day do you spend playing Marvel Avengers Alliance? Uh, for those who don't know, Marvel's Avengers Alliance is a Facebook game uh, <laughs> where you can recruit Marvel characters on your team. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, give or take, if you add it all up, you know, 30 to, to an hour. 30, to, 30 minutes to an hour. Minutes okay. to an hour. That, I'm going to double or triple that because that's just a lot. Okay, sometimes it who's helps. The, who's the key uh, leader on your team? Who's, well, who's, no, who's like, performing most no right now? There's no leader. 
It's just that you have to, you know, um, there's always a leader. No. Well, you're a shield agent and you're, you're, you know, you're recruiting other heroes onto your team. Are you, so. what are you, are, are you touching yourself when you're playing this game? What are you doing? No, I mean, it's mostly, <laughs> it's pretty passive. I'm not, <laughs> I'm just mostly watching and interacting. Uh, no, I mean, my, my heart and soul are being touched <laughs> but, through nostalgia. Um, it's great to see these characters come to life. What else to remind you guys about? Um, I mentioned last week, I'll mention it again. Uh, Mission Impossible is now out in theaters. Uh, had a lot of fun uh, both seeing this movie. I've seen it twice. It's really good. Uh, some fun interviews with Tom Cruise that I did. I've shared with you, Joel. Uh, they were kind of fun, right? Did you watch them? You didn't even watch them that I sent I, you. I don't watch movies. Oh, God. You I don't, don't watch, watch interviews. <laughs> I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> anyway, go to MTV's YouTube page. There's some fun uh, content with Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible. Simon Pegg. Did a fun thing Simon on Star Pink. Wars. Yeah. I had him rank the top six, all six of Star Wars movies from bottom to top. I think you can assume where the prequels fit into that. Um, so that was fun. And uh, yeah, we're, we're heading towards the end of summer. Fantastic Four coming up soon. About to see that one. Hopeful. Um, I'm hopeful. I'm hoping for the best. We, we're eternal optimists over here at Happy Sad Confused. It's true. Um, I'm, it's, yeah. yeah. I'm always rooting for Marvel films, so I, I hope it, well, it yeah, does it better. Because it could impact your important life. Yeah, pers- there's a personal Alliance. investment in this movie. <laughs> and, um, all right. Enough about your sad gaming ways. Hey, you brought it up. I, I did. I did. Um, thanks for the office. Thanks for your continued hard work, Joel. Oh, well, thank you. That was very sincere. And uh, thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode with the supremely talented Mr. Kevin Bacon. That's bacon sizzling. Get it? I have to go. Sorry. Uh, it's good to see you. And thank you so much for coming by today because, um, I really love this movie cop car. I missed it at Sundance, but I've caught up to it recently. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a good one, man. Thank you. Um, and I think, th- I think the most important place to start in my copious research about you. So I grew up in the city. I feel like our paths might've crossed when I was a child, uh, when I was attending, when I was going to the all state cafe oh. and you were waiting tables there as a kid, you were there. I was there. I grew with up your, on like West 70th. Oh, so. so with your parents and yes, uh, what, I'm sure, I'm sure our paths did cross. Yeah. <laughs> so what are your memories of working there? Uh, it was, it was my home, my family, my haven. Um, I, I, I registered in the summer of 76 at the, um, circle in the square, uh, summer, uh, workshop and, and was able to audition for their, um, winter two year program, got into that. Uh, and I was, when I moved to New York, I was only 17, 17. So that, that summer I, I turned 18 and I met, uh, a guy who's still my best friend. Um, and he would, we walk up, uh, from 50th street up Broadway and I knew that he lived in Harlem, but every, every, uh, uh, time we get to 72nd street, he'd hang a left. And I was thinking, where are you going? And one day he said, Hey, come on down and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll buy a beer. Walked into the Allstate, um, and it was just a tiny little uh, bar restaurant, but it immediately became um, m- like my uh, clubhouse almost, yeah. you know. And I, I was able to get a job there, and made men. All my friends were from the Allstate, and it was 
there's no it's not a coincidence that the television show cheers was created by um, james burroughs who was uh who had had hung out at the Allstate. Yeah. And a lot of the vibe of that show was very much like it. You know, Absolutely. everybody um, from kind of all walks of life would meet at this place. And uh, there's a sort of a brother and sisterhood there. Do, do you still have, I mean, you obviously, you live a different lifestyle now, but like, do you have a hangout now? Do you have a place no. that you could, no? Mm -mm. That's home. No, I don't. And the Allstate closed about... It was like five or six years ago. Yeah, five or six right? years ago. Yeah. And, and we literally had a reunion of people who had hung out there in the 70s um some of which had been hanging out when they closed in five or six years ago so uh and you know that's how important it was not just to me but to, to everybody so where was so where was the career then this was pretty soon after you had moved to new york at 17 you're saying or? yeah yeah and so had you done like animal house at that point or i got that? animal house amazingly um when i was at circle in the square in my second year of circle in the square and uh so that was my second year in new york yeah. i was 19 and um they sent a casting director over to the school actually to look for uh people to be frat boys and the school kind of submitted me so i didn't have an agent um i just went and met with john landis and, and there, there weren't that many lines but i read whatever lines were there and then i kind of made some faces for him right <laughs> and he liked the faces and then um they called me up and said you know you you've got the job landis i mean i've interviewed him a couple times in, in like the recent years you know like him before the kind of the heyday of like when he was you know everything he touched was amazing but he's a big personality he was oh my like god was he someone because that's like a formative experience so were you like okay this is how directors are or when did you realize this guy is insane in a hopefully a good way yeah <laughs> uh, I, I i realized it pretty quickly i mean my audition he was like well wow, you make that smarmy face <laughs> i love that i love what he does it's smarmy and i didn't really know what smarmy meant so it was kind of like an onomatopoeia to me you know sure. i just made a face that i kind of thought was was smarmy and um the first day that i walked on the set they flew me out to um to oregon which is where we shot the movie and they cut my hair and they put me in the clothes and then i didn't work and i didn't work for a week i went and sat in the hotel room because uh, the sh this shot got delayed or whatever yeah and then the first day i walked back on that set I think, if I remember correctly, it was this big scene of a parade, and there were floats, and it was kind of the, um, y you know, the the, the uh, climax of the movie, sure. and a lot of extras, probably hundreds of extras, uh, um, a couple of different cameras, crane shots, and John just like you know, uh, uh, screaming because things were like falling apart or not going that well. And it blew my mind. I was like, first off, I was immediately in love with the excitement and the energy and the energy of making films. And, and was, I found his energy, you know, really completely, you know, infectious. And, um, obviously he loves, um, making movies and, and had a tremendous, like, um, 
joy. You know, I mean, sometimes he, you know his head would explode, but he was all it would it was always with a kind of underlying feeling of joy. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sure you've met some on the other side where they explode, and maybe the underlying feeling isn't necessarily joy. Right. Just self hatred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So uh, over when was the rude awakening afterwards? Where both that okay, this is not how it's done, and also it's not going to be so easy starting off a career with what immediately becomes kind of a classic for yeah. people. Well, I thought, you know, I, I, I mean, I thought, well, now I'm coming back to New York. I'm a movie star. I quit school because I figured I didn't really need that, didn't need them anymore. You know, I was I was beyond that. I was a professional actor. But I turned around and went, well, I don't actually have an agent now. And, um, and I have to start uh, living and so I, I went to do Animal House and came back and got my job back at the Allstate. Uh, so when the movie came out, I was actually still working at the Allstate. Had to ask for the night off for, for, for the premiere. And that was kind of a you know, horrible experience because I, <laughs> I realized that, um, you know, m- nobody knew who I was from the movie and that this was not a career changer or a career uh, establishing kind of thing, yeah. you know, it, 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 you know, it was for, I don't know, Tim Matheson or Bruce sure. McGill or whatever, you know, but, but for me, it, I was just kind of on the periphery of it. Um, so, you know, I, I, good, good when those types of things happen, um, when you, uh, always good to be reminded not to believe your own legend. Yeah. And, um, so I rolled up my sleeves, you know, kept waiting tables and, uh, started to look for an agent. So I'm curious, like, you know, we know you primarily from your work from the last, you know, Footloose and on, right? And it seems like you've worked very consistently throughout those years. I'm I'm wondering, like, when the last time you you felt worry about your career? Uh, About 30 seconds ago. (laughs) When you walked in this office and said, what have I done? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, when I do, where am I? Um, in this dark room, this shady dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I do. I mean, look, it's such a cliche, but it's just true. You know, when you are a freelance um, performer, if you if a job ends, it's always feels like it's your last. It always feels like the great myth of um, your. Uh, uh, weakness is about to be exposed. It's the emperor's new clothes. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, you remember your bad reviews. You have the dreams of, of you know, being unprepared, standing naked in front of the audience and you can't find your, your clothes. You know, I mean, it's like, um, I, I don't think I'll ever get rid of those, those uh, worries. And, you know, I, mean, I guess there's a part of me that knows I'll probably at this point be able to make some kind of a living but you know i've seen a lot of roadkill um and i've seen a lot of uh people come and go and even in my own life there's been you know i guess most people wouldn't look at my career and necessarily unless they were really super analytical say well there's been ups and downs but for me it's been like just a constant constant roller coaster of ups and downs and and as you well know you're it's 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 very much out of your hands. It's public perception. It's industry perception. It's sure. what have you done lately that's been successful? Oh, well, yeah. Let's put in five more of those. Again. Absolutely. And, all those and, things and, are true. And and you and you've talked a lot about you know post Footloose, which again is like one of those markers. Where you're like, okay, I'm all set. I got it. I'm a leading man. I get to do this now. And for whatever reason, and while there were some 
films between then and JFK, which I guess is the if you're going analytically like the next kind of marking point, there were some successes. There wasn't like it wasn't necessarily those six or seven years you probably wanted at that time, right? Yeah, well, I think there were films that I thought were pretty good, but they weren't necessarily successes. You know, there's 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 the there's the they're successful in terms of box office, and then they're successful in terms of like I I, I think it turned out well or right, better than I, mean, I you thought. Have, you have what you have like the big picture in there. You have tremors in there. You have okay, some fun. two two box office disasters. Yeah. Uh, both both of them. Both of them, I think, are good films. Absolutely. Films that I'm proud to have been in, and you know, I think that they. They, although I haven't seen the big picture for many, many years, but I did recently watch Tremors and I really thought it held up. But, you know, um, it, it, especially at that time, it wasn't so much to say, well, what are you worried about? This is a cult VHS classic. You know, that's not what I wanted to, you know, actually, I, you know, sort of uh, coincidentally, this movie Cop Car, it's the first time that I am I'm going out and promoting a movie that essentially will hopefully find its audience on VOD. Right. And that's what we're hoping for. That's what we're trying for. You know, so not like settling. I, You're, this is the goal. We're not settling. Yeah. yeah. So I really had to kind of adjust my head and my, my thinking, you know, which I've, I've tried to do, you know, I've tried not to stay stuck in the, in the 70s in terms of my perception of, of the business or whatever. But, but yeah, there were some, there were films that I liked. And again, I was able to, you know, kind of cobble enough work together. But I was also feeling uh, a lot of financial um, pressure uh, you know, just in terms of like continue a lifestyle, adding two children to the mix. Um, you know, there were things going on that that it, it didn't feel like the career was on a path that I wanted it to be. And I mean, I think the truth is, is that we're always a little hungry for something else. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff that I wish that I could still accomplish and i'm i'm really still kind of looking down the road i'd like to think that you know the best work is in front of me as opposed yeah. to behind me it's funny and, and yet you never like about those concerns in that time and then the opportunities for that for whatever reason that weren't coming down you never chose to move to la you never <laughs> no. went down that road and i i relate to that because i'm born and bred new yorker that i've mm. never, never left never got a driver's license even um, wow <laughs> yeah that's impressive well that's one way to look at it <laughs> <laughs> or, I'm a, or i'm a child in a 39 year old body <laughs> um why was that why did you never was it well just lifestyle was just too important and the kids were in the mix and all that and it was just yeah, so I mean, I wrote a song called "City of Fear," and it it, it was really my own um, terror, my own lack of courage to um, face this city that I just didn't quite understand. And I think also I was reluctant to uh, embrace and accept that I was um, part of this industry in a strange kind of way you know what i mean these are all things that i've come to later on i also had a very 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 glorified idea about what a, being a new york actor was and being a new york actor a la you know the pacino, dustin yeah, the pacino sure. and merrill and all the people who were doing all the stage stuff you know what i mean it was like that 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 was th those were my heroes and um uh, you know, the, I, I also combined with that. My wife is a lifetime New Yorker. She, she didn't really want to go and we wanted to bring our children up here. Now, uh, shockingly, we are now 
we have completely embraced LA and uh, it happened only in the last probably two or three years. Uh, we are really truly bi-coastal now and we're lucky enough to be able to do that. And since we have an empty nest, you know, we really can, right. can move them back. We're not tied to the children being in school anywhere. So um, I've really discovered it in a way and I really, really um, like it now. I still love New York, of course, uh, but I feel really grateful that I, I have a place. So, so I f we finally broke down and um, bought us, you know, a, a small place in, in California. And I, I can't tell you how great it is to get off the plane and know that I'm not going to a hotel for the, you know, right. and that, that's all I've, that's all I've been living in, you know, and you, and you land and you check your wallet to make sure that you have, you know, bills small enough to tip the guy and you're walking through the lobby and it's just, I mean, I'm just so over hotels, yeah. you know, and it's, it's funny. I'm curious. Did you find it difficult raising kids in the city? Because people always look at me like I'm an anomaly. Because I, I did. I grew up on the Upper West Side. It's a great place to raise kids. It's amazing. Amazing. I mean, I, I, I grew up in Philly. So, I, I, you know, being uh, growing up in an urban setting, I wouldn't have traded my, my childhood as for another place ever. I mean, I, I, it had challenges for sure. But, but in terms of like who I am, it was so formative and so important to me. And I think that if you talk to my kids, um, they would say, absolutely. And I had this sort of uh, uh, brief moment of thinking that what I wanted was to live a hermit-like lifestyle in um, the country. Yeah. And, uh, and when I met my wife, that's what, that's what we were doing. And I, I had been spending a lot of time up there before I met her just alone with a dog, you know, straight through February and March and, and, uh, you know, chopping wood and you know what I mean? Like it was a very kind of romanticized sort of idea. Mm -hmm. And then I would go off and do my work and that would be another life. But, but, but this is the thing that I wanted for, for my life. And she tried it for about, I guess, a year or two. No, I had to be a little bit longer because my son was already, uh, uh, in starting to get into um, school, like preschool or kindergarten or something. And she finally came to me and said, look, I love you, but I can't do this anymore. I can't, I just, I can't, it, this is, this just, I gotta like shop and have lunch with some friends. And I was panicked and, and sort of horrified. It's probably the biggest fight we ever had in our, in our marriage. Yeah. Partly because I thought to myself, I gotta go back now to New York and try to buy an apartment that's going to fit four of us in. And I was just starting to feel like I had kind of leveled out financially. Right. So it, it was it was it was terrifying. But it was the best thing that we ever did. And the and she was absolutely right. And the the kids, um, they just loved growing up in New York. And it was it was such a safe place. I mean, if nothing else, you know, you're saying you don't have a driver's license, you know, when you hit that 16 year old thing and you're sitting there, you know, at home, um, hoping that they're not going to be out, you know, drinking and driving. I mean, thank God for Uber now, because yeah. it's like, you, you know, a lot of times I think pr parents, if they can afford it, don't really have that kind of same pressure that they used to. But just that in itself is sort of a terrifying moment. Absolutely. And and do they go to museums every day? No, that, but it's not really kind of about that. You know, it's about, um, it's about just the way that this city feeds your senses. You know, sometimes on a, on a really hot, loud, 
noisy, smelly day. We call it the constant assault of the senses. But but on the flip side of that, I think you get a lot of creative energy from I do. Yeah, I mean, life is colliding with you, whether you want it to or not, in all aspects of life. I mean, I was a kid in a... And like it was a nice school, it was an Upper West Side public school, but I was like one of like five white kids in my school, and mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody. I mean, it didn't that didn't mean anything to me. Sure, and that was the best thing about it that it didn't mean anything. Sure, that was just there. Yeah. Hey guys, time for a special message from our friends at Mott and Bow, one of Happy Sad Confused's sponsors today. I don't know about you guys, but I like to wear jeans. I wear jeans pretty much every day. I'm wearing some right now. And guess what? I'm wearing my Mountain Bow jeans. This was not even planned, guys. I looked up to see what ad I'm supposed to record today. And I saw Mountain Bow and I said, that's what's on my legs. This is crazy. I didn't say it like that, but that was kind of the inter- interior dialogue in my in my brain. Um, I'm not trying to spend over two hundred dollars per pair of jeans uh, because that would break the bank. Since I, as I said, I wear so many of them. Uh, that's why, guys, I'm thrilled that uh, Montenbo is the sponsor today. Montenbo is great. They handcraft premium jeans for guys at under one hundred dollars uh, a pair. I've been wearing mine, as I said, and I can totally feel the difference that they're really, truly high quality stuff. Plus, they'll even send you guys a second waist size for free to try on. Um, it doesn't get any better than that. For this quality, you truly can't beat this price, but the deal just got better, friends. Simply go to montenbow.com slash happy and automatically get 20% off your purchase. That's montenbow.com slash happy for 20% off automatically applied at checkout. Go ahead, try them. One thing, I mean, you mentioned kind of like evoking that kind of like that paradigm, that Meryl Streep, that Al Pacino, that theater lifestyle. I mean, you and you've done a lot of theater. And one thing in, in reading about you that I wasn't aware of is very early on you were in a play. And I just have to ask this because this confluence of people like shocks me and amazes me that you were in a play with Val Kilmer and Sean Penn. Yeah. And Jackie <laughs> Earl Haley. Amazing. And uh, Brian Ben-Ben, who's uh, uh, also a fantastic actor. Um yeah, yeah. It, it was a play that I had done down at the Actors Theater of Louisville, and they decided to get it um, produced in New York. Uh, I was the only one that moved from the Actors Theater up up to the New York production. It was a separate kind of um, company and separate producers, et cetera. And it was a play called Slab Boys that was written by a Scottish playwright named John Byrne, who was a uh, both a playwright and also an artist. And... Um, Fantastic at both, I might add. And it was about his um, days in Glasgow as a as a um, a, a tough kind of brawling um, wise ass. Uh, they, they they were influenced really heavily by that sort of um, greaser style. You mm-hmm. know, uh, we we used a lot of grease in our hair and had you know da's our hair combed into da's and and these big. Um, crazy shoes and, and and tight pants and you know it was it was like a whole style that he had and he worked in a um, in a paint uh, factory where they would grind and mix pigment for paint and they worked on a slab uh, and they'd have these palette knives and 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 it was uh, it, I thought it was a fantastic play I don't think that it was 
you know, it's one of those things where, you know, either the New York Times gets it or they didn't, you know, and I don't, I can't remember, but I think maybe it was sort of like a so-so. I actually read it. You oh, got, you did? And you, and you got a nice oh. little notice in it. Oh, it, it, oh okay. It called you out. But it was a very, it was a very, a much better play, I think, than 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 the way it was um, embraced. It was actually kind of uh, almost like a drawing room comedy in its own way, got kind it. of a farce. Well, what, what do you remember about... I mean, you've worked with Sean since, obviously, Mystic River. Mm-hmm. Val, I, I'm obsessed with, always have have been. I mean, he, he was like, what, the youngest guy out of Juilliard. So he was like yeah. that wonderkind, like, from the start. I think Ju- I think Val was right out of Juilliard when we did Slab Boys. Yeah. I feel like maybe he hadn't been out for very long. Um, did it seem like he was raw and, and ready to take on the world? Or did it feel like, were you competitive at that time? If you're like at that age where like naturally guys that age are, I think, competitive anyway, no matter what your profession is or not really. Um, I mean, the nature I'm trying of the to think about that. Not, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't, I, I don't remember feeling competitive with, with Val. No. Um, or, or, or with Sean. Yeah. Uh, we, I think we were all kind of, you know, it was it was fairly early for all of us. I think Sean maybe had one or two movies in the can. And I think maybe I had, I can't remember what I had done at that point. I, I don't have the timeline right, but I probably had done some stuff. Yeah. I'd probably done Diner maybe, but I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, I think, yeah, this is right. I believe that I had my Footloose audition while I was doing Slab Boys or sometime around oh, that wow. time. I, I believe that that's, I believe that's what happened. Um, I remember just having a blast doing it, you know. Um, it was just, uh, it was just fun, you know. So uh, being on the other side of things now, I mean, I, I mean, you're obviously acting in this one and I know you're on the, the mustache publicity tour where that's the first question out of everybody's mouth because it's important. It's an important thing about your character. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a great look, undeniably right. so. But, um, is it fun to you're an executive producer on this right you know it's a it's a filmmaker that um no one frankly like has really heard of before this and suddenly he's directing a giant marvel movie yeah so that's pretty awesome awesome um does it feel like do you have like more of a interest is this interest you more you've you've produced a little bit in the past Mm -hmm. but like how did this happen in particular that you were on board in this capacity? And is that something you're trying to do more of? Um, I, I like to do it. I'm always thinking about things. You know, it's funny is that I've, I've produced a lot of things that haven't actually come to fruition. You know, <laughs> a lot of um, television series that have been in development. Um, and, uh, and, and also films that just, you know, haven't really seen the light of day. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's different forms of producing. Uh, yeah, as you know, that's probably one of the most overused kind of terms of credit and everybody kind of wants it. Uh, in the case of Cop Car, the script came to me and uh, I read this beautiful um, sort of poetic kind of uh, unusual story, you know, and I knew that it was a very, very low budget situation. But it read more, didn't read like a little, you know, Sundancey indie art house mm-hmm. kind of movie, you know. It really was not like, you know, a, you know, disease of the month kind of film. It's, it feels like a bigger sort of story, you know, yeah. a crowd pleasing kind of thriller. And um Remind me almost of like a like a blood simple back in the day of sure. like, like that kind of Coen Brothers. Well, yeah, idea. John is definitely influenced by the Coen Brothers yeah. and by the early Amblin films sure. and by Stephen King. You know, those are sort of his 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 um his mentors in a way you know and i i i said i really like this it 
it reads great and you know people wonder like how, how, how does it read since there's so little being said in it but they had a they had a beautiful way of of making you visualize the movie which is not always the case a lot of times you know you pick up a script and you go well i get the story and i can see the dialogue yeah you know we're going to need to change the dialogue a little here we'll change it there you know maybe the, whatever this moment should happen later and you know you you have this but you don't always kind of picture the whole thing. You don't yeah. always sort of say, okay, I get it, you know? And after, you know, an hour and 15 minutes, I was, I was done and felt like I'd seen the movie, including having seen the character. I knew what I knew that if I did this, that this is the, who the guy would be. So it doesn't, that also doesn't always happen. Sometimes you have to find it and find yeah. it and find it, but I, I knew it. Um, then I went and looked at, um, John's, uh, first movie that had not um, come out and still hasn't come out in the States. And I could see that he was a shooter and that he had a really good sense of um, actors and also a good sense of where to put the camera. And I don't know how to explain this other than to say, sometimes you look at scenes and you think to yourself, well, there's a million ways they could have cut this scene. Right. Sometimes you look at a scene and you say, that's the only way this scene could be cut. And the director knew it when he went in. And that's the kind of a director that John is. So I said, listen, this is between um, season two and season three of the following. Let's do this. Let's get this done. Let's get this made. You know, they gave me a producing credit. I'm curious. I mean, have you, because you've worked with all manner of directors, like the the ones that have the longest resume in the business and first time directors, I'm sure uh, at various points, have you been able to manage and figure out how to separate the bullshit from the reality? Because it's one thing to, for someone to be good in a room and to talk to you about a script that's pretty good and say, I have this vision and they talk a good game. And I'm sure like any actor, you've probably then gotten on set and been like, oh God, this it's got a girl, she, they don't have the goods. And that's mm-hmm. got to be the worst situation ever. Is your sense of people better? Is that something that you've, is there a way to mitigate against that after having done this a while? Yeah, I don't know if there is. And I don't know if I'm necessarily, I think I've gotten better. I mean, I think you can't hang around for this long and, and not learn nothing. But I, but you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. Um, and even if you get on set and the process is really great and it feels really good, it doesn't necessarily mean that the movie's going to be sure. good. And you can have a, a time when you just go, oh, my God, this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the movie is kind of cool. You yeah. know, it's uh, I, I don't it's always a crapshoot, man. I mean, yeah. I think that, you know, when you look at and you look at the choices that you make obviously you're trying to put as many of the pieces of the puzzle together and put put them in as make it make make a situation where it's going to be as good as it possibly could be between the character the director the cast you know uh the location the budget the cinematographer the costumes whatever those things are but even if they're all there it could still not work yeah I want to mention a couple of films that have resonated with me over the years. One, um, and I'm not alone in this, and it was an important one for your career. I think I was like 15 or 16 when I walked out, out of JFK and my brain. had You walked out? Like, you didn't watch the whole movie? No, I watched the whole movie many times, <laughs> <laughs> Kevin. It literally melted my brain. Like it was just like, and I became obsessed with Oliver Stone. And perhaps the best flight I've ever had was I had the fortune of sitting next to Oliver a couple years ago. Oh, that's on, a good one. <laughs> on a flight to LA. <laughs> and as I, I'm sure you can attest, that was quite a, a five-hour conversation with an amazingly insane but uh, talented man. I'll tell you a funny Oliver on a plane story. Uh, he, he, we're getting on a plane. 
and uh, we're not actually. He's on the other side of the, of the cabin, and I'm sitting there, and I didn't bring anything to read. And uh, so I pick up the in-flight magazine, and he comes over. I can curse on this. Yeah, he's like, ah, "What the fuck? What the fuck are you reading that piece of shit for? <laughs> Why do you read shit?" Why don't you read? Why don't you read the fucking New York Times? Argument out of anything. Yeah, he's like, why don't you read the fucking New York Times? What the hell is wrong with you? I'm like, I just didn't. I'm about Oliver. I didn't bring anything. Uh, I, I said, you've got the time. It was a Sunday. I said, you got the Sunday Times. Just give me a section when you're done with it. I'll read the New York Times. Okay. So I fall asleep and I wake up and there's the entire paper right at my feet. He's taken it, put it there. I pick up the paper. I open it and I swear to God, folded inside is us people, the National Enquirer, like the fucking globe or whatever. I mean, just like it was amazing. To bring in a lot of information to yeah. create that mind. So I, so I think it was a yeah, obviously it was a little tongue in cheek, but uh, I don't know. It doesn't actually surprise me because we watched and without listening to the dialogue together, we were watching New Year's Eve, the Gary Marshall film together. Okay, and to hear his commentary over a Gary Marshall film. Uh-huh. I mean, Good. that's priceless. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he you, you weren't asking him for his opinion. He was just commenting. Exactly. Okay, I mean, you yeah. can't, you can't shut that man up for that's great. Mean, he's a genius. Yeah. So that was like, what shocked me was that was just a few days of, of shooting for you. That was literally like yeah. four days that frankly changed the course of your career. Four days that changed the course of my career. You said it. Yep. Yep. Because, you know, I could feel when it came out, you know, people just were like, that's surprising. I, I, and you know, it's funny because my wife was very defensive at that point. She's like, you know, fuck them. What do you mean it's surprising? I'm not surprised. Why, why what's someone is surprised that you're, you know how to act. Right. Um, but you know, you, you have to keep in mind that the things, things like slab boys, you, you know, uh, and this other stage work that I'd done and, you know, some other kind of weird offbeat indies that I'd done, they, they're not, nobody saw them you yeah. know the, like a very only a sliver of people saw them so this was a movie that had a lot of big sort of exposure and and um and yeah so then i i it was also good for me just to realize that i had sort of lost track of why i wanted to act yeah. and this was a really fun opportunity to just go wide as i like to say yeah did um in recent years, you know, you made an impression as a great villain in X-Men First Class, which I loved. Um, is that something that, again, is that changing sensibilities? Is it just the opportunity was there where you never had that kind of opportunity before? Should that surprise me that you took that at the time? No. Or was it, no? No, I mean, it was a Marvel movie. I mean, and uh, look, the studios are making, what, four movies a piece a year? Something like that. Um, and there are... Uh, when it comes to that kind of a movie, yeah. there's not that many gigs. Um, you know, you and they're you, less that are actually decent, and they actually are. You know, you have Matthew Vaughn, who's an actually good filmmaker. Yeah, Matthew's <laughs> fantastic. I I, I loved um, uh, Kickass and and um, well, Layer no, I, Cake and yeah, sure. yeah, oh yeah, Layer yeah. Cake. I mean, I was I was I was thrilled to have to have that job, and you know, he was. Um, he was fun. It was an interesting sort of villain, you know. I mean, I, I you know, you can when it comes to big sort of blockbustery sort of movies, like I'm going to get two choices. One is like the head of the army, you know. <laughs> God damn it! What are you guys doing out there? That's not so interesting to me, right. you know. But the but but a billionaire, you know, mutant. Yeah, speaking German and Russian, and that's great. Do you find that it's tough to find 
roles that are willing to push you somewhere you haven't gone before? Like, do you, do you have to seek those out? I mean, because again, we've talked before about it's the cliche, but it's true. I mean, getting regurgitated the same stuff that you've done before. Yeah. How do you navigate that? How do you find something that's remotely new or? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that, um, well, you look for the cop cars in the world, you yeah. know? I mean, I think, I think that when I started out, there was no question in my mind that what I wanted to do was play a bunch of different guys. That's why I did it. That's, that's what I, that's why, you know, when I saw back to back, the graduate and midnight cowboy i was like oh okay so that's what an actor is now i now i now i know now i know what i want to what i want to do not not do Rasso rizzo every time you do the movie right you know what i mean so 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 it's hard that's a hard thing to convince hollywood to let you do yeah because they want you to do, and, and I'll tell you why, why that is. And I understand this because, you know, I've been on the other side of the camera. The, the film, make, film is such an intimate medium. You know, when you look at those big-ass close-ups, you know, if, if something is false, it's going gonna, it's gonna to really kind of read pretty quickly. And if, if you're to trust that an actor is going to be able to step away from who they are when they're in this room sitting here talking and, and you know, is, is a very tough, uh, leap of faith to take. Yeah. Uh, it's not so much on the stage, you know, because on the stage there's some distance and you go and you audition and you pretend that you're, you know, whatever British or whatever it is, you know, then they're going to buy it. Sure. You know? But in movies, much, much more difficult. So the fact that w- that the stuff that I get uh, sent to me, e- either offered or or to consider, is all over the map. Yeah. I mean, all over the map. I feel so grateful and so proud of having been able to, you know, build that kind of career because that's the kind of career that I wanted. And is there a way to gear yourself to, because as many amazing filmmakers, and this is true for any great actor that you've worked with, there are many dozen of the finest that you've never worked with. I mean, yeah. it just happens. Yeah. You know, I mean, whether it's a Coen brothers or right. a PT Anderson or Woody Allen, whatever you want to say, right. Do you go after them? Is that like, who, who, who do you not want to leave this earth without having worked with? Oh, God, I really like to work with the Coen brothers. I mean, you, you know, you named it. Of course I'd like to work with Scorsese. Um, uh, you Have know, you ever met with either or talked to either about anything or is it not just not happened yet? You know, I think I, 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 well, in my mind, I, they probably don't even remember. I sort of blew it with the Coen brothers a really long time ago when I was really young and really cocky. I, I sort of went into a meeting and was just kind of an asshole. I remember my agent going, uh, you fucked that up. What, what happened? What, what were you doing? Uh, I don't know. I was like, I don't really even remember. Whatever it was, um, word got back that they were they didn't dig it. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> all is forgiven Joel and Ethan please yeah I don't know give this guy it, another chance hopefully it's all forgiven or maybe they just don't like me which is fine too I, I, I you know I mean I like my work I mean I, I, I would totally I totally accept that but I yeah I mean of course there's a lot of people that I would w- would like to work with I would say that um, it doesn't seem to come up all that often that I get to reach out to someone like them or Scorsese and sit down and have a meeting and just say, Hey, please, 
um, you know, hire me, use me in something. Yeah. What I what does happen sometimes is that I'll see a film, um, and I will reach out to of a younger filmmaker. You know what I mean? Of somebody that's whose movie is a little bit off the radar. Sure. Who's actually willing to meet with me? <laughs> <laughs> they could use some of your juice. Yeah. You'd like get a little of their mojo. It works for everybody. Yeah. That. I, that. Yeah. Exactly. That. Right. That. That. That angle of things I've I've worked before. Before now, now whether or not that's actually turned into a a, a gig or not, I I'm, I don't think so. But uh, maybe down the road it has. I don't know. Um, well, congratulations again on this one. I mean, as you said, this is, uh, it's not like, yeah, when you say Sundance, it's not cut from that stripe. It's more of just like a really tight, smart, well done genre film that like works, which is rare, sadly. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) And, uh, it's a great performance and a great piece of work and I wish you all the best on it. Thanks, man. Thanks for stopping by. sent her you monster the world's greatest screenwriters so it appears it is to be a chess match after all and hollywood's brightest actors how do you just stop believing in it all will come together eventually you will slip in a cinematic explosion i hope you trip and break your bloody stiff neck the likes of which podcasting has never seen end of the goddamn world huh The Blacklist Table Reads takes the best screenplays from the famous Blacklist website and brings them to life with cream-of-the-crop talent and beautiful sound design. It's like a movie for your ears. You have no idea how committed we are. The story continues every week with a new movie every month. The Blacklist Table Reads, hosted by me, Franklin Leonard, and not in the movie trailer voice. Check it out on iTunes at wolfpop.com or on your favorite podcasting app. We'll see you there. Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear.